All right. If you are in the Wednesday night class in the fellowship hall, God, his people and the poor, and you're not close to one of the two screens yet, you're doing it wrong. Um, so move on up. Even if you're eating, you probably should get, because the, the first report that's going to happen in just a second is Cy Huffman finishing the report from team one, various times of kind of, of poverty in our city. And, uh, so Cy's going to come up here in just a second. And a lot of you have been given the urban hope model, the thinner report. That's going to be team two. They're going to come up right after Cy. So let me, after I pray, let me tell you what's going to happen tonight, okay? This is, the, uh, this is the end of this class and the beginning of us partnering together in new ways uh, to be God's people, sharing God's heart for the poor, right? So our class is ending, but hopefully uh, a lot of new things and maturing things are just in early stages. So uh, I'm excited about tonight because really, Everyone gets to hear from the four teams. So we're going to go in order. Cy complete team one's report, and then team two gives their report. And then Katie Bragg coming up, I think with one other member doing team three report. And then team four report will go last. And after that, we'll do some Q&A towards one another. Um, and then I'll wrap us up at the end. All right. So that's where we're going to go. Let me pray. And this is great. You get to share your work. Thank you. All four teams, you've invested a lot of your energy and time focusing on really important questions. So I've been looking forward to this night the whole time. I get to hear from you. So that's really good. Thank you for the work you've put in. And now I'm going to pray that God will help us communicate clearly, hear well, and process well uh, this truth will help us bear fruit together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for showing us in your word again and again that you move toward the brokenhearted, the needy, the lonely, the weak, the poor. Thank you that you welcome people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation to belong to you through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we've been able to be a team for a couple of months trying to learn together. And I pray that tonight we would get a taste of the, the joy of being a team, of depending upon one another, working hard for the sake of others. So help those that report tonight communicate clearly. Help us who listen Listen well and receive truth deeply. And then we ask that you would help us as a church grow into knowing you, mature as those who know you, mature as those who understand that our lives are full of various types of poverty. And help us graciously and generously move toward our neighbors who are also poor, that we might serve you, bless them, learn from them, learn with them, and grow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Cy Huffman, team one, come on.
if you didn't get the big report from Team One, uh, the thicker report, we have them here tonight. Make sure you take one with you. How's this working? Can you hear me? Closer? That better? Sounding better? Good. Well, like I have this inside joke with Robbie, um, little man, big Jesus. Um, and I like the wee little man, you know, up in the tree uh, most of the time, trying to get a, a view um, from there. So that's this microphone deal. So, um, okay. Uh, so Emily Mintz, uh it's been incredible in supporting Team One's efforts the whole way, including me. And um, I have notes, which I don't normally have when I speak, but this is my commitment to Robbie that I really am going to get through on time uh, this evening and keep things rolling. So um, this first slide uh, will look familiar, uh, hopefully, to the Group One members at least. Um, and uh, it represents, um, you know, the percentage of uh, the population uh, in poverty in Jefferson County. And, um, you know, if you can't see that really well, you know, we can leave these slides up or something. You can come take a look. And Mark actually has some big billboards and stuff about this, or what do you call those things? Big poster boards uh, that are kind of famous with Tracy Hips and others here in Birmingham. The I-59 corridor is sort of a, a good way to look uh, at all things related to poverty and uh, other things. So uh, I-59 corridor is pretty, uh, pretty significant and just right around that corridor. So thank you. Then um, last time, two weeks ago, uh, when our the rest of the team one was presenting. We went through lots of things that, um, through the healthcare lens, okay, which is a sector in which I work, we refer to as social determinants of health. The things we talked about, uh, food insecurity, uh, housing, uh, level of educational attainment, all these things we talked about that are really important. Uh, but the thing that I want you to notice on that slide, if you can see it, is, uh, you know, only, only 20% of the direct, um, uh, in, uh, of the interventions that lead to a person being healthier, living longer, uh, and a lot of other things we're going to talk about tonight, only 20% is health care. It's a very important 20%, I think, but you cannot approach um, the problems we uh, face in America, we face in Alabama, we face in Birmingham, the Birmingham metro area, and health disparities if you don't have a plan for addressing these social determinants of health. It's absolutely ludicrous to think you can solve it through healthcare alone. Okay, next slide. So uh, this is my slide from work. Um, so this is a view of uh, uh, my role. I serve as the chief population health officer for what's called Blue Care Tennessee. That's the Medicaid Division of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee, and we have responsibility for a little bit over 700,000 people, um, you know, statewide in Tennessee, uh, a uh, Medicaid uh, based on income uh, or disability 
you got Medicare uh, based on either age or disability, and then very specialized programs for people with uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities that we uniquely do for the state of Tennessee. So this is my job um, as Chief Population Health Officer. So what is displayed here is what's known nationally uh, by people as the quadruple aim. Um, and really that's a framework for population health at scale um, with the goals, uh, if you're committed to um, really what we call equitable community-based care, health equity, um, that is a commitment to better care for all, for all, better outcomes for all, better experience for all, which would include both what you might consider patients if you're in the clinical space, uh, and those providers, those clinical providers. Um, it's really important that we work. Um, there are lots of uh, clinical providers serving this, this population who are burned out and having a tough time uh, currently, and the pandemic has just been devastating for everybody. So better care for all, better outcomes for all, better experience for all. And the real trick on this is that if you build at the local level um, through essential partnerships with um, medical providers, behavioral health clinicians, local social service agencies at the local level, you build a better community-based uh, system of care for these low-income individuals, the total cost of the program goes down. One of the things I'm grateful um, because it gives me uh, the business support to do even more is that we have actuarial confirmation that this is working in Tennessee, that we are investing heavily in primary care and connecting people to social services. Uh, we're working really hard all the time, and the total cost for that population uh, of, uh, is, is going down. So if I were talking to my uh, conservative friends, I'd say, um, let me explain to you what I'm doing. Uh, we're taking taxpayer dollars and doing more and more good with it. Same amount of dollars, actually less dollars total. Um, so anyway, that's just a little editorial comment. Okay, next slide. Okay, so um, work like this has already gone on in Birmingham. Uh, lots of people are doing it. I'm just giving you uh, one snapshot of what UAB Health System is doing. Uh, I've been blessed to have some conversations with them. And um, so they have this uh, project called Live Health Smart. And you'll see several neighborhoods where they have UAB folks, uh, students from multiple disciplines, the business school, uh, social work school, so forth, working with neighborhood leaders, uh, you know, local nonprofits, uh, churches um, in these communities. Well, I don't know if you can tell the color, but I'm just, there you go. So she's pointing to Midfield. West End. They're not there yet. They're close by. Bush Hills, that's Inslee, and a couple other places, but, but they're not where we were all talking about in Group 1 last week. The difference between Vestavia and, um, you know, West End, Midfield area. So they're not there yet. But they're doing good work, and a lot of other people are doing great things in Birmingham already. I want to say that. All right, next slide. So infant mortality is something, to, uh, you know, it's a interest to everybody. Of course it is. That's really defined as 
Um, you know, it's a percentage of uh, children born that die before they turn age one. That's what infant mortality rate is. And you can note uh, the concentration, the darker is worse. More babies dying before their first birthday. Uh, and if you start looking at all these maps over and over again, like group one has, they're very similar. Poverty, low educational attainment, infant mortality, it's, the, it's shaded the same way on all the maps, pretty close. Okay, um, at the top, whew, um, in, I would tell you that, okay, there we go. Um, so infant mortality uh, at top, the highest infant mortality is black children. The one at the bottom is white children in Jefferson County. And the one in the middle, the blue line in the middle is just kind of overall. So you see the difference between black children dying in Jefferson County before their first birthday and white children dying for their first birthday. Uh, pretty significant differences. Next slide. Okay, um, I better look at my notes here for a second. Um, yeah, this is uh, food deserts um, by geography. So it's a lack of affordable, healthy food. And we talked about that in our group one, and we saw slides like this two weeks ago. So just another picture of that. And again, notice, you know, notice the coloring. Um, it, 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 it's pretty clear. Okay, the next one is the percent of the population of Jefferson County um, living with a disability. That may be blindness, it may be uh, deafness, it could be um, uh, dementia, it could be um, uh, intellectual disabilities, uh, a variety of things that roll up to this. And again, notice a pattern. It's a little bit different. The geography is a little bit different, but it's something that obviously as Christians we care about that, and people in this church already care about that. I discovered that when I first came, uh, slightly over a year ago. So just another angle. All right, next slide. So this is really looking at um, mortality rates um, for different, um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, for different conditions, the mortality rates for different conditions, and, we, and Emily and I just highlighted a couple to show the difference. So there's some Staggering differences here for Jefferson County compared to the rest of the United States. Some of them have comparisons in, to out the rest of Alabama, but all of them are compared Jefferson County versus the United States. And I won't go into detail, but again, we'd like for you to kind of take a look at these and see uh, the stroke rate, uh, death from stroke, okay? And uh, we have racial disparities, but it's bad for everybody uh, in Jefferson County compared to the rest of the country. So. Uh, then at the bottom, it talks about low birth weight. And, you know, I'd mentioned something about infant mortality. That's a big deal. Low birth weight, and uh, you know, pediatricians and others can talk about that better than I can. I'm an internal medicine doctor. I'm an adult doctor. But I do know enough to know that that can change uh, the trajectory of uh, a child's educational achievement, likelihood to thrive as an adult in multiple ways, okay? So low birth weight. But you see these um, big differences, you know, in Jefferson County overall versus the United States, but also uh, significant uh, black-white disparities um, uh, through this. So next slide. 
Okay, this is life expectancy um, by race and sex. So um, last, or excuse me, two weeks ago, we talked about the difference in the life of a young woman in Vestav- growing up in Vestavia uh, um, versus a young woman growing up in Midfield. Well, this is, if you just take a look, this is, you know, this is your life expectancy. In the top, you have white women. Okay, we all know that women live longer than men, right? So white women is that top red line. There's a dark green line that's black women. But there's a very faint green line. I'm not sure you can even see it up here. At the bottom, she's highlighting, that's black men. Do you see the disparity in life expectancy for black men in Jefferson County compared to everybody else? So I'm just highlighting some of the things that are going on in our community, just give you a picture of it. All right, final slide. So two weeks ago, um, we had some folks in part of our work group in group one uh, talk about housing issues. We talked about transportation, all, all kinds of reports that are part of the big, I call it the deacon's workbook now. We're making copies and, and everything. Um, so we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So on the left, that's just a, another picture of that. On the right, it talks about essentially avoidable hospitalizations. And this is for Medicare beneficiaries in Jefferson County. And again, uh, when you're in the system, if you're a God's person in the system, in your sector, you, know, you, you always have to work toward creating a business case to sort of influence your company, your sector, uh, to address uh, issues related to poverty. In the healthcare world, this is a big one because, you know, as I said before, um, you know, we save money by keeping people healthier in the community in Tennessee uh, and not being admitted to the hospital. Uh, this, is a, this is from the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. It's not a great metric. To be honest with you, I know all about this stuff. It's not very good, but it's the same for everybody, so it's good enough for comparison purposes. So they're potentially avoidable hospitalization. If you've got if you have these conditions and you get good primary care, then you probably would not have been admitted to the hospital like they were. That's what that metric is. So that creates the that begins to create a business case for you know the work that I do. And as I told you before, I'm very thankful, and Robbie knows this. I'm so grateful to God that I've been able to do a lot of work uh, for Blue Care and for. The actuaries at the top of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee say, gosh, it's all true. That population health program is working. And so it, it gives me permission to work on particularly intellectual development of disabilities, other things. They're like, well, gosh, you know, how are we going to tell them no? So anyway, that's just a quick sort of uh, trailer for the movie uh, to come, I hope.
the Team 2 report that is going around is uh, the exact same slides that are going to be behind me here. Uh, typically, speaking into a microphone is not a challenge for me. So um, uh, just give me the cue if I do need to speak up. My name is Richard Cox. It really is a joy to report on uh, behalf of Team 2. And so uh, I'm really not going to even mention so much the, uh, the slides that are back here. Uh, but you've got them for reference uh, that is here. And we are reporting on um, Urban Hope Community Church will be the, the facet that I'm going to be talking about for just a couple of minutes. And then I'm going to kick it to Matt Thomas uh, to talk about Urban Hope uh, Development. And these are great ministries. I, do must, I, I must give the warning on the forefront that uh, my inclination is to walk away from here with a punch list of actionable items of things to go and do that is in my nature, and that's not how this will end. This is purely meant to be an informative session uh, that we have here this evening. Urban Hope Community Church began as a vision that God laid on the heart of Alton and Sandra Hardy some 20 years ago. And now here we are with a physical church located in the Fairfield community that's a decade old now. And our, our church, Covenant Presbyterian, has been a mission partner with Urban Hope from the get-go. And if you had heard a report from Alton about Urban Hope maybe seven, eight, nine years ago, the message you would have heard at that time is markedly different than the message that you will hear right now. Uh, ask Alton and Sandra, and they will be very quick to tell you their ministry's growth is a testament to God's saying, trust me. In, uh, in 2020, during the COVID season alone, for example, their church um, uh, attendance on a Sunday uh, more than doubled, or right at doubled. Uh, Urban Hope Community Church is, is right now reaping fruit from um, a ministry that has been a long time in the cultivating. And now our prayer is to see the same for Urban Hope Development, which we'll be hearing about in just a moment. Uh, their vision is, as is up here on the slide, uh, to lead people out of bondage of Egypt and into the promised land of freedom. And this begins and ends in the church. So what exactly is Urban Hope Community Church? Many of you are familiar with this. You've heard Alton and Sandra's heart for it. It's a PCA church located in Fairfield. And since their inception, they have moved from Church of the Redeemer into their own newly renovated building, quite impressive building in the heart of Fairfield. Their mission is explained very clearly on their website. It's included in here, and it's the second slide. So I realize the words up on the screen are very, very small, but I can tell you right now there's nothing that I can say that can enhance the words that are up here. I recommend that you all give it a look for yourselves. You'll see five points of their mission explained. It's a missional community gathering in worship. Uh, they're devoted to growing disciples of Jesus, living in and investing in urban communities. Uh, and they are, they are confident in their true identity in Christ, renewing our personhood as image bearers. They are agents of hope, proclaiming the good news, and their mission is in Fairfield, and they aspire to go beyond. Uh, on an average Sunday, you will go there and you will find, um, on average, about 100 Sunday morning congregants. They recently had a new members class that featured 21 prospective new members, the largest they've ever had. They recently had a women's retreat, again, the highest attendance numbers they've ever had. But if we're really going to get to the heart of what Urban Hope Community Church is, we've got to look beyond just what Sunday morning worship looks like. They are a long-haul ministry. It's a strategy driven by proximity. It's a strategy driven by consistency and a strategy driven by availability. Uh, the ministry is highly relational, engaged in the life of the people uh, who are part of their ministry. Um, they are cultivating leadership from within their community. 
There is a very strong emphasis on family at Urban Hope Community Church. You hear Alton's heart. He targets young men as the leaders in the community and specifically highlighting the institution of marriage in their ministry. Their aim is to go beyond Fairfield. Their aim is to to extend to 10 urban communities, all staffed, and this is essential, all staffed with local leadership. Urban Hope Community Church is centrally focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have a tendency to make Alton and Sandra the, the stars of the place. It is Jesus Christ and his gospel proclaimed. They are the faithful servants that have been very uniquely positioned to minister in the name of Christ. And um, at Covenant, our, our desire is to walk alongside them and, and support them in any ministry we can. So through this process, we learned what is not helpful. What is not helpful is, is I call it the over-the-mountain avalanche. Um, and that is going in guns blazing with solutions to problems, a patronizing and paternalistic, we come bearing solutions for what ails you is not helpful. Um, nor is viewing our ministry partnership with them, viewing this as a project is not helpful. Uh, viewing them as people um, is. So what is helpful? You ask out in prayer. Prayer is helpful. Urban Hope Community Church is growing, and he expresses this. Because they are growing and they are a force in Fairfield, there are a lot of eyes that are on them, good and bad. They've received praise. They've received scorn for what they're doing. Uh, Pray for Alton. Pray for Sandra as community leaders. Pray that they would have hearts to love their people well. What does help is listening. Um, Alton recently spoke here in the uh, the panel during the, the missions festival, and what he said is to be a good partner do not be in a hurry. Those really resonated with me, those words. To be a good partner, do not be in a hurry. Yes, there are volunteer opportunities. Volunteering is paramount. Um, There there are some that are available to us. Money, yeah, sure, money is good. They're not going to turn that down. Um, uh, But that is not the end-all, be-all with this ministry. And so that is my four-minute snapshot at Urban Hope Community Church. I'm now going to let Matt come and share a little bit more about Urban Hope Development. I'm going to use this since it's up here. Well, I'm, uh, before I start, in that handout, there are two books mentioned. I would, I would really recommend, commend both books. Um, before you even decide to dig in to doing anything in Fairfield with Urban Hope Development or Urban Hope Church, um, these two books will really give you the foundation to understand when helping hurts, and, and how we do it wrong a lot, and really how Church in the Hard Place um, is captured in what they're doing over there. So please do, I have, I'm about finished with this, I'm going to give this copy to Richard, uh, but I'm sure these books will float around. Alton will be glad to give you a copy of this, this book as well. So um, thank you, Richard. Uh, good evening. Our training over the past several weeks has produced a very conducive environment in uh, learning about poverty in our area and God's heart for the poor. We have been challenged by church leadership to see how the Bible teaches us as Christians to serve the poor in our community. So when Robbie kicked off the group project, he asked us to uncover and report back on the what and the why and the how. And so Richard has presented the what, why, and how of Urban Hope Church, and now I'm going to try and attempt to accurately present our team's findings about Urban Hope Development. So at the end of the five minutes or so, my goal is that you will be able to connect these two entities in a way that you and ultimately our church body will be able to see how we lean into this partnership in a a loving, compassionate, and effective way. So we'll start with the what. 
Urban Hope Development is an organization focused on education, economic development, crisis intake assessment, and housing. Launched in February of 2013 by Sandra, and directed by Sandra Hardy, UHD is working to address the barriers to long-term sustainable change in families as well as communities. It has a board of directors, it's a 501c3 status, and it supports the gospel center work of the church. Its mission is to equip students and families with opportunities to learn, grow, and be all they were created to be in their community. This mission supports the vision of bringing hope to students and families through education and economic development initiatives. So a really good mission statement and a really good vision for this organization. Now we're going to understand the why, why they do it. Urban Hope Community Church preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ lovingly and truthfully. Pastor Alton teaches about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to the dignity of work and to the importance of fathers in the family. The high rate of unemployment in predominantly fatherless homes have moved Fairfield into a downward spiral, and we all know that. Uh, maybe you didn't know, but did you know that Fairfield is ranked as the most dangerous city in Alabama by violent crime statistics? The most. It's one of the most dangerous cities in the country. Brothers and sisters, 13 miles from this church is a sister church that has taken the gospel of Jesus to one of the most dangerous areas of our country. It's not hyperbole. Yes, God is being glorified and the church is making disciples of Christ in Fairfield. As Richard pointed out, the church is growing and it's fantastic. As the church experiences this growth in membership, Alton and Sandra are working daily to develop leadership skills of those within the church body and the Fairfield community. And that's where this development, come, this development center comes in. As we all know, education is best when started early. The early urban hope development can reach the residents of Fairfield to better the chance to break this cycle of poverty. Remember, however, it must start with a gospel-preaching local church. We can't forget that. This urban hope development organization is going to be powerless without Christ, without changed lives, without transforming them. It must start, uh, it must start there. It comes from within, through the gospel, and, and within the Fairfield community, as Richard talked about, inside their, their community. It needs to be with local men and women who have been made new with Christ and decided to invest the energy and time to be part of change. If these transformed lives move out into, say, Hoover or other Birmingham area, the community of Fairfield suffers. Alton and Sandra need leaders, and they want those leaders to come from within. You see the vision? This is where urban, urban hope development enters. And so now we get to the how, through education. Edu urban hope development works to stop summer learning loss that many students from low-income urban communities ex experience. Um, probably the same loss over the mountain kids, too. Uh, but there are three elementary schools, one middle school, and one high school in the Fairfield City system, and most of the students are at below grade level, most of the students. Since the summer of 2014, U-Hope Success Academy, a summer camp in Fairfield, has provided summer education enrichment for rising 6th, 7th, and 8th grade students with a heavy focus in the Fairfield City schools. They have around 40 students who come Monday through Thursday from noon to 4, and it's working really well, and they have a high retention rate. So what they're doing is working during the summer. Tutoring, GED preparation, year-round middle school and high school enrichment programs, and mentoring are all components of the education focus for UHD. All of these efforts begin by working with the parents of the children. Alton and Sandra and, and UHD, they, don't, they start with the parent. They don't go to the children first. They want to make sure this is a family effort and the parents are involved because it's very important to have that. Um, and it's not easy. 
Um, the church and UHD work together to appropriately support the parents of these children to overcome misinformation and, as Alton puts it, to detox the community that has been deceived by those who want to keep the gospel from penetrating this once vibrant city. Crisis intake assessment at, uh, at UHD is stepping in to help with payment of utilities, rent, emergency food, diapers, personal hygiene needs, etc. And this requires funds. It also requires wisdom and discernment of true needs. It becomes a balance of love, grace, and accountability. Economic development is another area. Activities like job training, job placement, financial literacy, business startup, and loan programs are all happening at UHD. And for Fairfield to emerge from its current state, it needs local businesses owned and operated by Fairfield residents. For over six years, as was mentioned earlier about food deserts, it's been a food desert in Fairfield with no convenient place to shop for groceries. And that's changing with a soon-to-open grocery store that's going to go in uh, near the church. Homeowners want to be able to shop and support local community. We do. And that's part of the vision UHCC has for Fairfield. Housing is part of the master plan that Alton has developed, but he recognizes that the church is not equipped to own homes, nor do they want to own homes. However, he does desperately want to see his church members have the opportunity for home ownership. Many homes in Fairfield are empty. They're not even suitable for human occupancy. But God is at work here, and there are some very exciting developments happening to address this goal. We will learn more as it unfolds, but just know that our mighty King has moved in the hearts of many local men and women who are answering the prayer for better housing and for this blight to begin to lift. As our church moves toward the mission of gathering, growing, and going, uh, it's obvious how we align well with Urban Hope, as they clearly are seeking to gather, grow, and go as well. I know I'm excited to see how our leadership uses these findings to help us serve this great local partner. Thank you. Hey, y'all. Um, we're group three, and we are the social impact innovation team. So, um, of course, as the name suggests, we are all visionaries. Um, can you hear me? Um, visionaries, innovative thinkers. So we were all very excited when we sat down that first day, and um, we thought that we knew a lot and that we couldn't wait to get together and come up with a huge group project and educate everyone. And I wish I had thought about over the mountain avalanche. I'm going to use it and act like it was my idea and tell other people. Um, anyway, um, as you all probably feel also after seeing these reports very quickly, we were saying, okay, well, here's this idea. Here are a group of workers, and here are people um, that need workers. And Bob's going to talk about this more. But there are so many systems in play. And week after week, we sat there, and we were like, we thought we were really smart, and we just kind of feel like we're at a dead end. We don't know what to do. Um, Robbie, help. Come sit with us. You're making us do this. Get in here and help us, Robbie. Um, we're going to have to report on this. Um, and at one point, we were like, maybe that's the point. Maybe Robbie knows that we're scrambling, and um, this is a part of the exercise, which he, like, threw that in last week. Not to our group. He said that, that that was the point. But also the point was, over and over and over again, guys, we have seen through this study that God is commanding this from beginning to end of Scripture. And so that was the part that was continuously driving us. Um, this is really hard, but God loves the poor, and we need to love the poor. Um, one thing that I will share with you is um, one of the first weeks, I don't know if y'all read Amy, Amy Sherman, but she has a good devotional on um, 
poverty, and she did what's called an influence audit. So I think that this would be really helpful for everyone in the room, and so I'm just going to like very quickly read to you. Um, so here are the things that she talks about as far as your influence. So one is knowledge, specific knowledge gleaned from formal education or on-the-job experience. Platform, having a voice, an opportunity to get out a message. Networks, this could be your professional contacts, vendors, suppliers. Just think about, you know, your, your career and, and who are these networks of people. Um, influence, capacity of causing an effect in an indirect or intangible way. Um, think about position, seniority, along those lines. Um, skills. So just think through what are you good at? Um, what are gifts that the Lord has, has given you? And then reputation and fame. Um, that one doesn't apply to me, but some of you, it does. Um, that was really impactful for me to think about it. So it's not just, I immediately was like, well, I'm just trying to keep, let, I'm just trying to get my work to like keep me employed, but like I don't, I don't really have a lot going on here. I, I can't, you know, influence hiring practices or anything like that. But seeing it from this, um, these different ways that we can think through, where is our sphere of influence? I think if we have that frame of mind. I can see the Lord using this and rippling throughout the church and then throughout the community. Um, I don't have a project to report today. I have some ideas, and I did want to say, um, Group 1 and 2, y'all did a fantastic job. I keep saying, why did y'all make me go after them? Never let the Hogwoods go first, ever. Um, but it has definitely, I keep thinking throughout the week. I, I really do feel like it has changed my frame of um, the way that I just think about my job. And so um, I, I think that's the point, Robbie. So it was painful, but thank you. Um, and then Bob does have a project that he started when he was in Chattanooga. And immediately he moves to Birmingham and is like, you know, head on um, working on this and, and making connections. And it was it's all relative, right? Immediate to me. Um, anyway, so he's going to talk about this. Um, and that can just kind of give you ways to think through, okay, here's how we um, engage the people that are doing this and how do we better empower them and, and use our spheres of influence. So, so the first thing Katie did was the thing she just read. She gave us this little sheet for the whole group to read. And on the back of it was influence audit. So here I am, uh, the, uh, just having moved to Birmingham in May of this year, last year, and I'm looking through this thing, and I got nothing on this list <laughs> that makes any sense to me. And I think, as I was thinking through it, then I thought, well, no, wait a minute. I do know some people in one group here in town, and I know that, that they are desperately trying to find people to work, and they have jobs that will pay people who are trained 30 $30 an hour plus benefits, both health insurance and retirement all paid for. So it's $30 plus retirement plus health insurance for your whole family paid for. And for four years, they'll train you. You start at 60% of the journeyman's salary, goes up every six months as you're being trained. So I thought, well, that's, there's something that, that I, I know people that have that, that have those jobs. And I'm thinking, in the inner city, they must want jobs like this. So why don't, they, why don't they go and get these jobs? And then we started doing a little work with that. And I also started thinking about, because one of the things they say is, you know, who do you know that can volunteer skills? And who do you know can donate resources? <clears throat> 
So I started thinking about this church has a whole lot of resources. So the idea is to try to connect these things in a way that makes sense. God put me in a men's Bible study when I came here, even though Robbie said I was too old for it. <laughs> and those guys were very nice to me, and they've kept me there, and I appreciate that. But now they've helped me because Norm has helped me and John has helped me make some connections. So what, what we've done is, where we are today is, we've got one of the trades in Birmingham, the uh, Birmingham Iron Workers, connected to a, the Resource Academy. I got it right that time. It's Restoration. No, I didn't get it. Restoration Academy. He's okay. been saying Restoration Hardware. Yeah. <laughs> so I got it right. Whatever their name is, we're hooked up with... We're hooked with, up with them, so the iron workers are going to come to their career thing on April the 25th. They're actually going to build a stair in there, and they're going to get the kids involved in doing the actual, they're going to do all the rigging and get the kids involved in doing it. And because one of the problems that you have from the inner city, we talked about it a little while ago, is education. So we've hooked up with Dalton Smith and uh, Mary and Ellen back there in the back at, at Empire. And they're willing to set up a program, or working to set up a program, to help when we have somebody who has lower math skills or lower reading skills to get them prepared to go, not maybe going through the whole GED program, but enough to get them to be able to do the, the job with the, with, the, with the different trades. So the other thing that's interesting about that is we were talking to the trades. They say, well, you know, every once in a while we have a guy that we hire that we think is going to be a really good person, but he's ha he or she's having problems with some of the education stuff that they have to go through. So now they've got a place to go, and rather than losing that apprentice, they can get that person, uh, their education skills built up. So what we're trying to do is to, to find all the ways, uh, we've all heard about them. I mean, you'd think, I would think, this is simple. There's big jobs, these people want them, there's no big problem. The other thing is they don't even know the trades exist in the inner city. They, nobody goes down there and talks to them about it. So we're trying to do that. We're trying to educate them that there are these jobs available, try to hook them up with their, there are probably 14 trades in Birmingham that are hiring anywhere from 30 to 60 people a year to go through their training programs. And they're all looking for people today. So, and so that's, that's the, this is one idea that's connected to what I do is, is in the business world which is, it took us six weeks or nine weeks. How many weeks is this? We had a couple of extra meetings in our committee <laughs> to finally figure out what it is we're doing. And this is, just, this is just something that I can do because of a connection I had from business and because of the people that are here that have been able to help me to find the connections locally, we've been able to figure that. One of the things that we've learned in some of the meetings we have, and we've talked about this a little bit, but you really need to listen we're not trying to rebuild situations. We're trying to find things that are going on in the community that can help people make the transition and get them connected to those things that are already there. And in those things that are there that we can use, we want to see if we can support them as a church and whatever their needs are. But you have to go and listen to them about what their needs are. You said it earlier. We don't want to go down and explain to them how we're going to fix things because we're not. We need to find out what the problem is and try to see what we can do to help them. So this is one small thing that we can do. I think there are a bunch more that are coming. Thank you.
everybody. Yes, y'all know I'm married up. That was my wife, Katie. Uh, so I'm Samuel Bragg, if y'all don't know me. Um, we're group four. So <laughs> Robbie's kind of alluded to it. Groups three and four kind of had sort of a, it's like a brainstorming group, you know, a lot of bouncing ideas off of each other, trying to kind of come up with some some new ideas, but also not reinvent the wheel. So like may, maybe new to, to Covenant, but we we're kind of tasked, I'll just read how we were tasked, but to come up with a a framework, I guess, for diaconal external ministry. So not necessarily deacons, deacon-led diaconal ministry. So how do we get the entire church can y'all hear me in the back? Okay. How do we get the entire church to engage in diaconal ministry um, and thinking more externally? We have a great diaconate, uh, and we you know, serve uh, the widows in our church and do a lot of different things within the church really well. But you know, we have a lot of other—we have more bandwidth, and we want to figure out how to leverage other people in the church. And so basically he said, don't reinvent the wheel— think architectonic, foundationally, uh, and then think long-term. And so, and I think that's been a refrain um, that we've heard throughout all of these different presentations is that we all realize that this is not going to happen tomorrow. Um, And so I think one of the main things that we really touched on is relationships take time, and they take a lot of commitment on both sides and trust. And so, um, and we've mentioned it as well, and this is something that we talked about a lot is how do we do this in a way that's not paternalistic or patronizing and in a way that understands our need for help um, from the people that we're going to partner with. And so primarily we want to we partner with people that are doing it in these um, different boroughs of, of Birmingham. And I think one of the things, that another thing that I've heard a lot, and this is something we talked about a lot, is as you begin to think about this, it can quickly become very overwhelming. Um, it did for me as we were sitting there talking about all the things we could possibly do as a church or how we can possibly get people plugged in. And so it became just like we were spitballing everything. And then we're like, what, what do we do? Um, and so quickly we kind of realized we need to focus and we need to like have a, a very defined scope. And so I think that would be a recommendation um, that we would not try to like spread ourselves too thin. Uh, and as a church, if we're going to try to bring the church along with us to think in a narrow, like one or two partners early on to try to help say, this is what we're doing as a church. And everybody else, you know, we can have other things that we're involved in with our jobs and that we're trying to get plugged in. And we can, we already have resources as a church. Uh, if y'all don't know, we have a, de- a deacon fund. We are doing relief work already. Um, we are meeting needs and uh, one of the things Robbie's mentioned that I really like, and I keep, that's kind of how I think about what we're doing as a DAC, and it is moving from just the relief base, but moving into a development space and then a partnership space. And so how do we go from relief to the development? Um, and that's, that's kind of where I'm, you know, we're not really there yet, but, you know, I think, like I said, relationships take time. And so <clears throat> we can if we can pick one thing, maybe two things, and really develop a relationship, we'll, we'll begin to see that fruit. So <clears throat> let's see if I'm still on my notes here. Okay, yeah, I'm actually right on. Okay, so basically, I, you know, we had to come up with a few key findings, um, and a lot of what y'all have talked about 
is stuff that we probably needed early on. So we're going to take what y'all have reported on. Uh, this group is actually not a group that's going to just disband after this class. We're going to continue to to work through a lot of what we've already talked about, what y'all have talked about, and if you're interested in continuing, you know, there's going to be plenty of opportunities um, to do this diaconal work um, now that we've all got this information. And it's actually hearing groups one and two and three talk have spurred on a lot of ideas. Um, and so we just, I think we just need to realize that this is, this is a long haul. This is a 10, 15, 20 year. We want something that's going to, we're going to build a good foundation and then we're going to be able to build on top of for the next uh, several decades um, so we really need a well-defined scope. That's something that we kind of picked up on, and we want to have one or two strategic partners. And then um, something that, you know, being married to the Group 3, I get to hear a lot about uh, what's going on in Group 3, but I, I really love the what she just mentioned, the resource audit. Um, if we can do that, even within this all this entire class, we can come up with plenty of ways to connect resources with needs, just exactly like Bob, what Bob was doing. And so I think if we can, as we, as we as a church and as we as a group know about that opportunity, we can say, hey, I know this guy that does this thing, and we have this need, and then we can start plugging in and playing. And so I think rolling that out as a as an opportunity for people to, to volunteer their resources, not just money, but, and this is another thing that Robbie's mentioned, but time, talent, treasure. So not just your money. How can you develop, you know, devote your time and your talents? And so, um, let's see. I think at the end of the day, this is something that we talked about last week um, when I think some of y'all were at the, the banquet, but, um, for me, just in my interactions and engagement with this topic, understanding that how overwhelming it was for me to to see, and you can often get bogged down. So as we as we as a diaconate try to bring the church with us, how can we help them to not become overwhelmed as well? So, um, Team Four, thank you for your work over the last 10, 12 weeks, however long we've been doing this. And thank you to all the other teams. Uh, great, great, great information. Um, so that's all I've got. I am so encouraged by y'all's work. I mean, really, Samuel's tall. Really excellent work. And it is not surprising. It's actually hopeful and just think about how uh, our, our youngest leaders tonight uh, stood in front of us and said, we don't have it figured out. That takes a remarkable amount of maturity. And I hope that the whole, whole I hope we, we all feel that because that's true for me. We don't, we don't know exactly what we're going to do in response to all this. It really still must be a team project where we as the people of God discern the will of God together in God's presence with his word open, right? And so let me just summarize what I heard you saying, and then I got a couple of announcements that relate to this class. 
Um, and it's just, I love the Lord's timing. So I got a little, I got some updates for you. Number one, here's what team one told us. And man, did y'all do an outstanding job. Like I couldn't wait to show Brian Ficker at y'all's work. I was so proud of it. Um, our city is covered in complex, deep, and pervasive poverty. And all the types of poverty influence each other. And there's, it's a, I don't have enough dollars in my wallet to change that tomorrow. <laughs> Neither do we as a church. And that's not even the goal. But super helpful to have team one describe it, define it, picture it for us and report it so well and so thoroughly. So I'm, I'm studying it myself these days, and I hope everyone here will continue to study that work. And we're going to take size report and stick it in this to complete that report. Secondly, team two. Here's what team two told us. This is amazing. So now we've looked at the map and seen all these pockets of concentrated poverty. And team two told us we have godly partners through Open Hope, in one of those pockets of concentrated poverty. And they are open to our partnership. We have godly partners that love the Lord Jesus Christ, that are focused on the work of the church, and they're open to our partnerships, and they're, they're, in, they're implanted in one of these pockets of concentrated poverty, and they want to pl- plant many more churches like themselves in neighborhoods of concentrated poverty. I mean, that's amazing. I loved hearing Richard and Matt's report tonight. Loved it. And of course, Alton's already become a good friend. We spent three hours together today in the providence of God and uh, worked through some things, and it was awesome. Um, thirdly, here's what Katie said while she said that Robbie tricked me and uh, other things. She said... Through, that, through using that Amy Sherman inventory and just being aware of the people that, that they were meeting with, um, we have a wealth of capital. Relational. We, just our church. Relational capital, social capital, discretionary capital. We actually have venture capital. We have a wealth of connections, educations, positions, and influence. We just have a lot. I, I'm, I'm 53 years old, so this won't surprise some of you. Some of you are younger than me. But um, I remember when it, it didn't bother anyone to mention the word privilege. I don't know why that became a bad word. But growing up in the church, I can remember people like my dad and people over my dad saying, Oh, Lord, we thank you for our privileges. Please let us steward our privileges well. Privilege is not a bad word. And it's not shameful to admit that you have privileges. To whom much is given, much shall be required. But there's nothing wrong with saying that you have privileges. If you have them, God's given them to you. It's what you do with them. So it's kind of crazy that that's become like a negative word. It's not, it's not negative to acknowledge that you have privileges. It's just significant that you steward them well for God's glory and your neighbor's good. And we can do that. So that's three. Team three, thank you. Team four... Samuel reminded us that Jesus has given us these assets and an office in his church, the diaconate, to lead us to engage in poverty alleviation. And then, then Samuel stole what I was going to say. So here, here's, here's my recommendation to us. It's that we adopt a couple of central strategic partners. 
I have zero doubt that Alton Hardy and Urban Hope is one of those central strategic partners of zero doubt. And I think we should be all in on helping them do really well where they are, which means listening to them, as my father said. And I was misquoted many times tonight, no less, not least by my dad. <laughs> I didn't tell you he was too old for that group. I just said, you're about 20 years older than most of them. Do what you want. <laughs> um, so um, he's young at heart. That's right. Um, where was I? <laughs> um, okay, so Samuel said almost exactly what I wanted to conclude with. I, I really think we need to adopt some central strategic partners that we really, really work with and that we don't feel overwhelmed by all the spray of possibilities. If you, you, know, if you just look at Team One's excellent study, then we could, we could say, oh, we're going to try to touch all of it. Well, we can't. Right now, vocationally, many of you are already connected, like Sa is, to particular areas, and you can seek to be increasingly faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ in your vocational wheelhouse. But as a church, we can't change all of these things, but we can go all in on a couple of strategic partners. And I have no doubt that a church planter who is planting a, has planted a church and wants to plant churches in neighborhoods of concentrated partners, I'm so thankful to be in a city where we have a partner like that. And I'm, I am all in on us being really good partners to them in any church they plant in any neighborhood like Fairfield. I just think it's, it's super, super significant. And then this is really fun. So this is Wednesday. It's Wednesday, right? It's, the last two months have been really crazy. Today's Wednesday. It must be because I'm here. Okay, um, on Monday night... The session gave me permission, not by myself, but gave me permission to look for a pastor to add to our staff to help our church execute things like this. Doesn't that sound great? Yeah, thank you, Norman. I mean, that, that to me is very, very exciting, right? We have an office, the diaconate, we have a vision that, that we're growing into. By the way, we've just recently adopted a pretty broad vision. We've got to walk into it together for the long haul. And then if, we, if one of the things we want to do, because the Bible has told us to do it, is to care for the poor in meaningful ways that are transformative and not transactional, we need embedded partners, people that we learn from, people that we come alongside and we support them with all that God has given us in ways that bless them that are not patronizing and paternalistic as we heard. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end by just borrowing from my, my dad's little project, which just really encouraged me like crazy. So dad's project was he, he professionally, he knew some people that really were looking for a lot of workers. And he's looking at a study of a lot of poverty. And there's a lot of people that are unemployed and underemployed. Okay. The vision here for us, it's not satisfying enough that people who need work find work. Because we know they're made for four key relationships. Their relationship with God themselves, others, and the whole creation, right? So what we really want, and this is what my dad is trying to do, which is great, go to Restoration Academy and to Alton Hardy and to other church and to other pastors. Because it's one thing if a poor kid in Fairfield gets a good job as an iron worker and, and makes a great living, but if he's being discipled by Alton Hardy 
and that young man that gets a good job and doesn't start college and go into debt and never finish college, if that young man gets a good job, a, a living wage that can support a family, and he's discipled and he marries a woman, and they raise children together, and that young man becomes a deacon in Fairfield, and he's got all those, those just normal creational good pieces, and he's, and he's hearing the gospel from his pastor and being discipled, then that job is a great piece of the pie. Does that make sense? The, the church of Jesus Christ is not into alleviating poverty for the sake of alleviating poverty. We want to see the world become the world that God is making it to be through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the local church. Does that make sense? We really want these things to come together. And that's why Alton Hardy is a great partner. You know, I just, I told him again today, I absolutely love what you were doing in Fairfield and we want to be your partner. So um, I'm super encouraged. I'm super excited um, by all of your work and deeply thankful for it. And so I want to end by praying and I think it'd be great for a couple of you to pray and I'll just close this in prayer. And I just want us to ask God to bless us, ask God to help us walk in wisdom and fruitfulness um, and then it's already seven nineteen. Um, uh, if you're interested in not just um, seeing what happens next, if you want to stay connected to this conversation, it'd be really good if you let me or your team leader know that, because there there will be. F- future planning, future movement in this direction. This has been a class. After we close in prayer, we're done. The class is done. But we're not done being God's people uh, moving in these directions, okay? So if you're interested in staying involved, you just got to tell me, your team leader, and then we'll talk, okay? So um, I'm going to ask, Sai, will you open us in prayer?
Father, thank you for making your ways known to us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for canceling the record that stood against us by nailing it to the cross of King Jesus. Thank you for making us co-heirs with King Jesus. Heirs of all things forever and ever. Keep freeing us up by this good news to live open-handed, soft-hearted, other-centered lives today. Help us grow in wisdom together. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say one thing real fast before you leave, just to vindicate uh, group three. Uh, Brian Fickert, who you may have heard me say this before, uh, one of the best thinkers in the world about uh, poverty alleviation through the work of the church and through God's people. PhD in economics from Yale. He looked at team three. We, they had a little special meeting with him last week. He looked at him and he's like, how are y'all doing? And they're like, uh. He's like, why are you discouraged? He's like, no one in the whole world is doing what you're trying to do. He's like, you, you guys are all stars. And so he actually... Brian Figueroa actually recruited our team three to be part of a beta project because the Chalmers Center is, they've been doing innovative work for how churches engage this, their cities, but they're, they have a brand new project about how to help people in their own career path figure out how to be, how to be uh, entrepreneurial and use design thinking to bless the poor through their vocation. And so our team three people are invited to be part of that beta group. That's pretty impressive. That's awesome. All right. <laughs> Thank you for all of your work. God bless you.